0: Y'all ready for Daniel chapter 5? You got it read? You still got time? No. You know, I've, I was thinking about this this week, that i have yet to find a single instance in the entire Bible when, when somebody compromised regarding what the Word of God clearly says. Like, it's black and white, right? That's so what it says. And it ended well for them. Just hardly at all. And over the last four weeks as we've been going through this study together, we've been exposed to the influence of four young men. They were pretty young during these uh, first four chapters. Four young men who, who stood for righteousness um, as it's defined by the Word of God and not by the moving standards, that moving target that our world and their world lived by. And they were able to discern. That's the amazing thing. It didn't matter how old they were. The wisdom comes from God whether you're young or whether you're old and they're able to discern where the that line of compromise was in God's Word and how it played out in everyday interaction with the people around them and we've been able to see firsthand um, by reading this God's given us an idea of what real success looks like this is what God's looking for and over the first four chapters of Daniel God used Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to bring his light to a great king who was living in the dark. Not exciting, because that's what God does. Uh, that's what God does through his own children. And like Daniel, you and I, uh, this week, this afternoon, we're each going to have um, opportunities. And God will provide those opportunities to share the gospel truth what it really says. And God provides those encounters where you and I get to shed His gospel light to people who are living in darkness like you and I once lived. Completely oblivious at times to what's really going on. To speak the truth in love. To stand for righteousness as it's defined by God's Word, not defined by a particular political party or defined by a particular even religious denomination. What does God's Word have to say? And let's take a look. That's what we're going to do today. Uh, we do this every week at Grace Chapel. And we learned last week in chapter 4 to bring us up to date that this kind of living, this kind of living for God and in, in this kind of light, this type of a strong witness for what God really says begins when every one of us who knows Jesus Christ as our Savior bow our knee and submit ourselves in obedience to God. It starts there. It doesn't start with the other people. It doesn't start with what's wrong in our world. It starts in our own hearts. It's not new. It's how God inaugurated this thing called the church that you and I are a part of. In the very first sermon to the church in Acts, uh, the church that God created and it is still in existence for us today, in the first sermon, Peter said this in Acts 2, 36 and 39, let the house Of all Israel, therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. (laughs) There's a seeker sensitive message for you right there, right? If that's not going to drive people away, I don't know what is. You guys put them on the cross. Now, when they heard this, look at this. This is what God does. They were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. And then based on that repentance, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit like you have seen in us today. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all. That means you and I, Gentile. (laughs) For you and I who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And what happened? What happened with this cutting like a knife revelation of truth, the truth explaining our, your, and my own implicit guilt in putting Jesus on the cross, our sin, the truth of God's remedy for the debt payment that we each owe. Verse 41, so those who received his word, those who listened to this, were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. This chapter, this chapter 5 contains uh, and continues to reveal the fallacies of the present age in which we all live and breathe and operate each and every day. It reveals the truth of Jesus coming again and, uh, and our calling to tell the truth to everyone you bring Across our path. While there is still time, Heavenly Father, which you've already determined, God, may we here at Grace Chapel increase accordingly as you give us grace. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 5, God is always on display. Isn't he? Do you see him every day? He's always displaying his absolute no-holds-bar control over everything. We see it as men and women in government, rise and fall, according to God's decree. That's, that's, that's enough, you're done. <laughs> Next one that I've got already prepared. We, we, we see it as Scripture moves to its fulfillment, which we talk about a lot here. And this week in chapter 5, God announces His control in a startling, very supernatural uh, way. It's going to be the demise of of the present world empire for that day named Babylon because God raises up nations and God takes down nations and according to God's timing this world dominating empire Babylon uh, its time is over and it's only been in existence for less than 100 years as the world empire Just a, it's all God gave them that amount of time to do what he needed done and then another empire is going to take the reins, reins that God hands to them. So the episode recorded here by Daniel occurred, um, if you're into history and you read your history books, this is recorded for us, this demise, it's, it's 539 BC. It's the year when the Persian king, King Cyrus, and his buddy Darius the Mede conquered Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar has long died, the guy we read about in the first four chapters, he's, he's dead and gone, 23 years. He's been dead. And Belshazzar is now ruling in Babylon. His dad's the king, but Belshazzar, the son's in charge because his dad's off on an archaeological dig. I mean, the empire's crumbling, and he's off digging up old stuff. So, The empire's been in decline for years since Nebuchadnezzar passed, and now it's completely bottoming out. Verse 1. So what do you do when the end is near? <laughs> you party. <laughs> That's what the world does. Verse 1. Chapter 5, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords, and he drank wine in front of the thousand. So that's what you do when the enemy's outside the gates. History tells us that this day uh, is the the New Year festival in Babylon. It's also the night when Babylon's going to fall to the Persians. Happy New Year. (laughs) I say that tongue-in-cheek, okay? Just I mean, no, disrespect. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. And when they brought in the gold vessels that they had taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines drank from them. These are the sacred temple vessels plundered from King Solomon's temple by Nebuchadnezzar years ago. And according to, Ezra, in Ezra chapter 1, verse 9 and following, we find that th- these gold and silver um, go- goblets and basins and everything, there was about four, 5,400 of them. So more than enough for the thousand guests. They drank wine, it says, they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. And Nebuchadnezzar had stored these vessels, as most conquering kings do, in his own temple to his own God. But we read last week, 30 years before this, that Nebuchadnezzar had in chapter 4, verse 34, blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. He declared the righteous character of God. He went on and on and on. He called him the King of Heaven. So he probably wouldn't have thought of ever desecrating these vessels to honor God. A God who had, we read last week, utterly humbled him. But we all know and we've all experienced how as generations pass, faith can also fade. And it passes. Often faith in God does not last even one generation. We see it over and over again. And in Babylon, the focus of worship had returned to gold, silver, bronze, idols uh, fashioned by man. So, according to Isaiah and other prophets, we know that the use and worship of idols by Israel had played a major part in them being in the position they were in right now, a conquered, enslaved people. See, God will not be mocked, God will not be ignored. According to his timing, justice will roll. And he didn't approve of the Babylon's worship of gods and idols, other gods, uh, either. It didn't go unnoticed by God. Look at verse 5. Immediately, so they're drinking from the vessels. It's almost like if you're a Jew and you're reading this, you're going, oh no, something bad's going to happen. And it did. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the landstand. And I'm I'm sure everybody saw and looking at that went, oh man, I've had too much to drink. (laughs) And then they looked up, you saw it too? Oh no, it's real. And the king saw the hand as it wrote, and then the king's color changed. I'm thinking white. (laughs) And his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. Yeah, it says that. His knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers, and the king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple, have a chain of gold around his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom that might... You might say, why just the third ruler and king? Well, he's the second highest position, so this is the highest position he can give because his dad's the king. And then Belsh, but they can't, he calls him the wise man. They can't interpret it, can't. And then King Nebuchadnezzar was greatly alarmed. I mean, that's getting worse. And his color changed. I don't know what happens, what the next color is, but it changed again. And his lords were perplexed, and everybody's like, whew. And then all of a sudden, in the next couple verses, the queen mother, his, his mom, his, his dad's wife, remembers there's this guy. We haven't talked to him for a long time. He's off in a closet somewhere. There's this guy named Daniel. I remember now. And Daniel, by this time, is probably in his 80s. So as a young man, so influential, then things started to deteriorate, and he's off on the sidelines. And God brings him back in his 80s. Yes, there is hope for us. And, he remi- and she reminded Belshazzar that his forefather, Nebuchadnezzar, his great-great-great-grandfather, had elevated and used Daniel on occasion to, with great success. And so Daniel's brought in, in the next verses, 13 through 15, and Belshazzar explains the, the problem, and he butters up Daniel because that's what good leaders do. And in verse 16, he says, Now, Danny, I didn't, he didn't call him Danny, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you'll be clothed with purple and have a golden chain around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. I love Daniel's answer. I mean, you can modernize it if you want, but basically he's like, then Daniel answered and said before the king, uh, you know, keep it. I don't want your trash. Let your gifts be for yourself. Give the rewards to somebody else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. But first, before he does it, Daniel reminds Belshazzar, and he reminds us. He reminds us of Nebuchadnezzar's humbling experience and how Nebuchadnezzar subsequently acknowledged the sovereignty of the Most High God. Verse 18, O king! The Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty, and because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. That's why you are where you are right today. It's because God did this thing, not you. Whom he would he killed and whom he would he kept alive, whom he would he raised up and whom he would he humbled, but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly... He was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him and he was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast. We saw this last week. And his dwelling was that with wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. In contrast to Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar is a is incorruptibly proud, incorrigibly proud, incorrigibly proud. And you, his son, verse 22, Belshazzar, you have not humbled your heart. This is huge. You have not humbled your heart. And you knew this. You knew this story. But you've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. Just look at what you're doing tonight with stuff that belongs to God's temple. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze and iron, wood and stone, <laughs> gods which do not see or hear or know anything, but the God in whose hand is your breath. I need to, to repeat that a lot to myself. The God in whose hand is my breath, and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then from His presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed, mene, mene, tekel, parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. And on the surface level, these words, these words, everybody knew what they meant. They literally meant a mina, a mina. These are forms of of, of money, uh, units of, of, of money. A mina, a mina, a shekel, and a half shekel. That's, that's what the, was written on the wall. It's money. And these units of measurement, God is using. This image of monetary weights that were put on a scale to see, oh, that's worth a mina. It, it, it weighs as much as a mina, And they're being placed on a scale. Each word describing a unit of money and each word carries a double meaning. First of all, mene. It sounds like a verb that means to number. So God, he says, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Time is up. The next word is tekel. The word, it's, it's the word for shekel. It kind of rhymes. Sounds, and it sounds like a verb which means to weigh. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. You know, the reality of you and I today, of our life, the reality is it's on God's scales that everything is weighed. All your dreams, all your aspirations, your retirement account, uh, your bank account today, your job, everything is weighed on God's scales. God's scales, not our scales, not our ways of evaluating because they're faulty and they're clouded and they're biased. God's scales are the true estimates of your worth and my worth. Perez and that means half shekel and it sounded like a verb that means to break in two your kingdom he said Daniel says is divided and it's given to the Median and the Persians the Medes and the Persians I want us just to pause just for a second and consider something personal today and consider the reasons why Belshazzar and why the current sacrilegious conditions in in his kingdom Were to be brought to an end. Because this isn't new. I mean, this goes on all the time, right? It's spelled out for us by God, recorded by Daniel, to teach us a lesson. God's leaving this story for us, just like he gave Judah, of whom Daniel was a part a story in 2 Kings 17 and told them why their brothers and sisters in northern Israel had been defeated and carried off by the Assyrians, never to be seen again. And Judah heard that story and didn't respond accordingly, and now they're in the same kind of mess. The worship of idols, the worship of anything before God, the worship of anything above God, and the refusal to honor the living God will not be tolerated. God is patient, amen? I mean, yeah. Oh my, if He wasn't, I wouldn't be here. Would you? God is patient, but only He knows the limits of His own patience. We don't, and we should not push that button for each of us, for the leaders around us. It's God's timing. His clock is ticking. How long will we be given in America? Did you ever stop to think about that? Do you think this country is going to go on forever? Some of the things I hear on the news makes me think that people think that. When is it enough? When is it final? And then God moves on to his next purpose for this planet. And America's job is done. How are we balancing on the scales of God's justice today? And not just as a nation. How about as a church? True to his word and against Daniel's earlier objection, verse 29, then Nebuchadnezzar gave the command... And Daniel was clothed with purple and a chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. These honors were meaningless. And Daniel knew it because that very night Babylon fell. That very night King Belshazzar was killed. And Darius the Mede, Cyrus's buddy in arms, ascends the throne in the province of Babylon. 30, verse 30, that very night Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. You know the accolades that we all have received in life for various things? The accolades that you may continue to receive? uh, Maybe from your parents, maybe from your spouse, maybe from your employer, maybe in sports, but you know, accolades, stuff that you do and you accomplish. The accolades we receive in this present reality, in this planet, are short-lived, right? Are short-sighted and extremely temporal whenever you compare them to eternity's glory, a glory that God has destined for His own kids. Do you remember Nebuchadnezzar's first dream? It was back in chapter 2. If you weren't here, there was a statue. Remember? The head was made out of Gold, and then the next part of the statue, the the torso was silver, and then you got down to the the legs and the thighs, and they were bronze, and then iron, and then what were the feet? Clay and iron, exactly, clay and iron. The first kingdom, we are told, by Daniel, back there in chapter 2, that first kingdom was represented by the head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar. A prediction that Daniel was privileged to make. It's, it's, it's amazing. And it's already passing away in his lifetime. Right before Daniel's eyes, the predictor earlier, is now in a fulfilled prophetic event. This is amazing, right? It's like happening in his own lifetime. As God orchestrates world history, Daniel's seeing it all happen, right before his eyes, and he's a major player. In the whole thing. And the second kingdom, the kingdom of Persia, the Medes and the Persians. The silver, the next part, under Cyrus, Darius is being given. It's being given the, the temporary, we need to understand this, the temporary rulership of all nations. Is it just haphazard planning? Is it just the normal course of, of life and it just sort, of, just sort of happens and evolves? Is it just a fortuitous event for the Persians. Oh, man, we're going to get to conquer Babylon tonight. Isn't that, isn't that cool how that worked out? And Second Chronicles records it for us, the event in verse, chapter 36, verse 22. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, because Jeremiah said in 70 years after you get taken into captivity, you're going to be able to come back home. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom. And he also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He, he, he gets it. And he has cha- charged me to build him a house, because it was all destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, a house a temple at Jerusalem which is in Judah whoever is among you of all his people so all you Jews who are scattered around the known world right now may the Lord his God be with him let him go up the Jews because of this event that Daniel's a part of get to go back home at the end of 70 years of discipline for for disobeying God and God made the arrangements and God had his current administrative assistant, Cyrus, write the invitation. And then look at this. It, it gets even better. Ezra records it in Ezra 1, seven. Cyrus, the king, also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. These, what Belshazzar was, was degrading, By having this big party with them, Cyrus comes in. They're now his. He gives them to the Jews, says, take them home. Take them back, build a temple, put them back where they're supposed to be. You can try all you want to put yourself above God and his plans for your life, but he always gets the last laugh. 150 years before this event that we're reading about in Daniel chapter 5, Isaiah the prophet recorded this, and it's one of the reasons why so many modern critics of the Bible say Isaiah couldn't have written this, because it's, it's too spot on. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord who made all things, never forget it, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself, didn't need any help. I frustrate the signs of liars, I make fools of diviners who turns wise men back and makes their knowledge foolish, who confirms the word of his servant and fulfills the counsel of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited, she might be destroyed one day but she shall again be inhabited in the cities of Judah they shall be built and I will raise up the ruins who says to the deep be dry and I will dry up your rivers who says of Cyrus who isn't even alive yet for hundred and fifty years who says of Cyrus he is my shepherd he's not the shepherd I am even of a pagan king and he shall fulfill all my purpose Saying of Jerusalem, this is what Cyrus is going to say, and we just read that he did. She shall be built, and of the temple, your foundation shall be laid. As God predicted, and it unfolded to the letter concerning Israel. Here's a question. What has God said? What has God predicted about our future, church? Back to Acts chapter 2 that we began with. Verse 16 in Peter's message. Talking about everybody saying, what is going on on the day of Pentecost? We're hearing the gospel of God through Jesus Christ in our own language from men who don't know that language. How, what's going on here? But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, Peter explains. And in the last days, days that you and I are still living in it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor of smoke the Sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes the great and magnificent day and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved both judgment and mercy in the same breath and Peter's t- Peter tells these Jews by the thousands many of whom will be the the very first Christians in God's church that he's creating on that day, that the significance of the Holy Spirit's empowerment to speak languages that they didn't know is found like everything else in God's saving purposes. It's always about that. It's always about God's redemption and His salvation, as the prophet Joel said was going to happen one day, and it's happening. And in the last days, in these final days, when the, when the, when the age to come is inaugurated, God's promises to pour out His Spirit again to all people. And Peter declares that this is now beginning. Before their very eyes, they're seeing the prophecy of Joel being fulfilled. In contrast to the selective and occasional outpouring of the Holy Spirit on a king or on particular prophets in the Old Testament, you and I today, the Spirit comes without regard to age, male or female, social status, and as we read between the lines here, ethnic origin. Old Testament prophets made known the Word of God to the people by speaking the Word of God to them. And not much has changed, has it, for you and I? Martin Luther (laughs) said as he inaugurated the Reformation, all Christians are spirit-enabled to bear witness to knowledge of God through Christ, which the Holy Spirit kindles and makes to burn through the word of the gospel. We are all prophets of God in that sense, speaking forth the word of God to our generation, to our families, to people living in darkness. Joel and Peter remind us of the decisiveness as we get closer to the day of the Lord points to all those cosmic signs the blood the moon the sun on earth and in the heavens it's coming i mean it's guaranteed every prophecy has so far every prophecy will the universe will one day reveal what a shambles we as humans our sin has made of things and are in our constant assault of god's moral order It's being flipped up. We're watching it right on the news. The moral order of God is flipped. And judgment must come. And we read in the Bible that it's called the day of the Lord. But I want to focus on the hope. Because that's why we, the church, are here. But the hope held out by Joel, the hope held out by Peter, is so vitally significant. Acts chapter 2, verse 21, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. That's why we're here. And today we're living in a time of rapid social change. We're living in a time of absolute moral decay, environmental crisis, left, right, and center, and seemingly um, unmanageable uh, economic and political problems. So we can certainly identify, as other past generations have been able to also, identify with both Peter and Joel's sense of the end being now. But God comforts comforts us today with Daniel chapter 5, that history is not out of control. God reminds us that He is constantly at work saving who He wants, who He's calling and you and I get to live in this time some of you may be saying I wish it was the good old days were there ever really good old days (laughs) because your parents said I wish it was the good old days back then we get to live in this time of the spirits life giving presence where we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of the third person of the Trinity inside of me is inside of you And there's the challenge, right? Will we call on the name of the Lord and be saved? More importantly, will we tell others about that calling and pray for their salvation? Would you rise with me? Before we close in worshiping our Heavenly Father, let's pray to Him, united as one, as a family, dedicated to the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, We bow in your presence, humbled that you cared so much for us in 2021 that you wrote down in 539 BC. You had Daniel write these stories for us that we could learn, that we could grow, that we could go out and live and and speak the truth in love to our neighbor and really care, go out of our way, Because that's what matters. So we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. And in his name we pray. Amen.